How are you all doing? Good. Hey, uh, we're going to just uh, kind of just continue the road we've been kind of traveling on these last couple of uh, teaching times. Um, and uh, unfortunately, we're going to kind of hit a little bit of a break here, and uh, we'll pick up again uh, in, on January 7th. So we'll try to get as far as I can uh, tonight. I, I, again, I just want to kind of just talk about, again, just this um, desire, uh, a need that we have to really kind of establish and kind of deepen um, our intimacy with God. Um, and by that, uh, you'll hear me use the terminology Godhead. That is a phrase that Paul uses. And uh, when we use that term Godhead, we're referring to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Um, so just talking about, again, how do we develop, how do we deepen um, our intimacy with God, because I believe that God desires not just a, a distant relationship, not a, not a casual relationship, not a first-name basis relationship. I believe God wants a very deep, a very personal, a very intimate relationship with every one of us. And again, oftentimes, we are, we are a kind of a culture that doesn't do that well. We don't cultivate intimacy well with one another. Uh, the thought of cultivating intimacy with God is kind of, it's foreign. It can be very uncomfortable, especially if we really don't understand what that means. What does that look like? And when we talk about intimacy with God, what is God after? And so, uh, been really kind of my point in the series is really kind of just to go through this um, slowly because it, it is material that's got to be absorbed. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's material that really has got to wash over our hearts and our spirits. It, it's, it's material we've got to open our hearts to and kind of just drink that in. And so um, I'm going to try to go through this slowly. I get a little excited and kind of just want to um, kind of do fire hose ministry here, but I know that that's not always beneficial for those of you who are on the receiving end of that. And so recently I was kind of reading an article on marital intimacy. Um, one of my big questions has been, what is marital intimacy? I'm kind of one of these people that I like things defined. I want to be able to kind of mentally wrap my mind around concepts as much as I can. And so I've kind of been on this, um, this quest to kind of try to find out what is, what is marital intimacy look like? Um, and so the author uh, of this article that I was reading was talking about how husbands and wives could develop and deepen intimacy in their marriage. And while the advice really is directed at, at married couples, um, uh, it, it applies, you'll see, in, in what we're talking about here when we talk about intimacy um, with God. So let me just give you his advice to marital couples, and then I'm going to extrapolate that uh, into intimacy with God. And by the way, I think this is just great advice, um, and it's really applicable to any relationship, um, whether it's friends, family, um, children. Um, so let me just kind of quote from the article, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it, and I'm going to reapply it um, and, and talk about it in the context of intimacy with God. And here's what he said. When married couples are together in a state of openness, intimacy naturally occurs. In its most basic sense, 
Intimacy is the experience of being close to your spouse and openly sharing anything either about yourself or something else with the confidence of being secure, loved, and valued. This may or may not include words. It doesn't necessarily require work or effort. The mistake many make knowing they want to experience intimacy and that openness is required is to focus on trying to be open or create intimacy. He said either focus makes getting to true intimacy harder than necessary. He said the easier approach to intimacy is to focus on creating a secure environment For yourself and your spouse, when both of you feel secure, you will be naturally inclined to relax and be open. Then intimacy will simply happen. I love that. I thought that was pretty cool. So I've been really kind of uh, just focusing and really kind of uh, contemplating on that. Now, let me just take this same, and I'm going to just give a little bit of journalistic or editorial um, tweaking to this, and I want to apply this to our relationship with God. When believers commune and fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, together in a state of openness, intimacy naturally occurs. In its most basic sense, intimacy is the experience of being close to the Father and openly sharing anything either about yourself or something else with the confidence of being secure, loved, and valued. This may or may not include words. It doesn't necessarily require work or effort. Grace. The mistake many make knowing they want to experience intimacy and that openness is required is to focus on trying to be open or to create intimacy. Either focus makes getting to the true intimacy harder than necessary. The easier approach to intimacy is to focus on trying to create a secure environment for yourself and in your walk with God. When you experience his presence and feel secure, you will be naturally inclined to relax and be open. Then intimacy will simply happen. Now, the reason why I believe this is true and what we've been talking about was because as I was really kind of reflecting on this, the Holy Spirit just kind of started to be, bring Bible verses that when I began to look at them through the lens of this, I started thinking, wow, this really kind of makes sense. This is kind of pretty cool. And one of the verses that instantly came to mind was Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, nothing. There is not a smidgen of condemnation when you are in relationship with Christ Jesus. You know what, folks? When there's no condemnation, do you know what happens? You're going to begin to feel safe. You're going to begin to feel secure. There's no condemnation. I feel an openness I feel an openness just to be honest about what's going on in my life, in my heart. 
because I know there's not going to be, it's not going to be met with any condemnation because the word says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. A few verses later, he says, you've not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba or Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. See, that's that feeling when you tell somebody, I- I'm saved, I know I'm saved, I can't explain why, I just know that I know that I know that I am. That's the Spirit of God bearing witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. It's a confirmation of his spirit to your spirit, you're born again, you're saved, you're my son, you're my daughter. I I can't prove that, I can't explain that, I just have a witness of the spirit, his spirit to my spirit, that I am his. That's what he's talking about there. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. Again, we have not been given a spirit of fear, of slavery, which is going to lead us into fear. Rather, we have been given a spirit of adoption. Isn't that going to kind of change the relationship? It does for me. I I start to feel valued. I start to feel secure. I start to feel safe in that kind of an environment. Where, again, that intimacy, it's just going to begin to take root. It's just going to begin to develop naturally because I don't feel any condemnation. I don't feel that slavery to fear anymore. I feel that spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. Take the verse in James 1.5. We've been looking at that here in some detail um, in, in the last few months. He said, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke. Or you, some of your translations may say criticize or reproach you for asking. You've ever gone to somebody and, and asked for advice or counsel and the person responds in a way that makes you sorry you ever ask? It doesn't open up relationships. It shuts it down. It, it doesn't draw you into a deeper conversation or relationship with them. It just pushes you further away from that person. I mean, you'll hear things like, you should know better. We've already talked about this. If I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times, you should be smart enough to figure this out on your own. Oh, that's just stupid, or you're stupid. Uh, Again, this is a no-brainer. I mean, responses like these do nothing to really... Um, cultivate openness, security, safety, or intimacy. Again, responses like, like those just make us feel embarrassed, humiliated, dejected, and again, it just instills in us a determination to avoid any further discussion, interaction with that person. Some of you may be you know, in situations where, where you kind of felt verbally abused, or maybe you've had somebody talk to you in a way that just makes you feel very degraded. Uh, Some of you may have had a parent who was always very critical of you, and and you just felt like you could never do anything right in their eyes. Some of you may have had a boss who was just super critical regarding your work and just constantly tearing apart your work or your ideas. Uh, Again, and, and 
we take those experiences oftentimes and unfortunately and we kind of just transfer them onto God and we kind of get this idea that God is going to be like that with us as well. So I don't want to go to God. I don't want to ask God anything because I'm afraid of his response. I'm afraid of the way he's going to interact with me. And and so James kind of puts this out there and he says he's not going to rebuke. He is not going to criticize. He's not going to reproach or, or rebuke you for asking. God wants us to know that we can be confident that when we come to him seeking wisdom, we're gonna find a safe, a secure, an inviting, a welcoming, an assuring environment because that openness and safety will produce, it it will cultivate, it will deepen intimacy between us and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God wants you to know that when we come to him for wisdom, when we come to him with problems, with dilemmas, with circumstances and situations, he wants us to know we can be confident that when we come to him in our time um, of trouble, we're not going uh, to find trouble in our times of asking for help. Again, it would make sense to me. It just, it's intuitive to me to think That if God is wanting and serious about establishing and deepening an intimate relationship with me, it it just seems to make sense to me that God would create an environment where we would feel loved and valued and secured, uh, free to just be ourselves in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our failures, and again, our, our, our need uh, for wisdom to be valued. Again, look at First John 4. I'm not going to obviously go through all of them, but these are just some of the ones that my, my heart was really kind of drawn to as I kind of was just really contemplating this whole sense of what does intimacy look like? And, and uh, they're beginning in verse 16. It says, and we have come to know and have believed. That, that, that is so important. Have you come to know and, and do you believe the love which God has for you. So that may be a big barrier to intimacy with God for some of you is you don't know that, you don't believe that, you hear that, but you don't believe it in your heart of hearts. You still think there's just something about you that makes you unlovely or unworthy in God's eyes. And and that is a barrier for you. But the scripture says here, and we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in him. This love is perfected with us. Again, get this, that we may have confidence. That's intimacy, When you can have confidence that even in the day of judgment, I mean those three words, day of judgment, just strikes fear in the hearts of a lot of us. Because what does the day of judgment conjure up? Judgment, I'm gonna be judged for what I did and what I didn't do. 
I'm going to have to stand before God and give an account for my life. And oh man, as I just think of some of the things that I've done and said, I don't want to have to account for any of that. The day of judgment just scares me to death. See, that's a barrier to intimacy. That God is just waiting. He is just waiting for that day when he can just drudge it all up. Every mistake, every sin. And then look at me and say, what were you thinking? That's not what the scripture says. By this love is perfected with us. That's intimacy. God wants to perfect you by and with his love. Why? Because that's going to produce in you confidence, a safety, an assurance that even in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Take time to just think about it. Because as he is, so are we. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all. That's intimacy. See, if you have fear of God, God wants to fill you with perfect love because he knows that's the only thing that's going to drive that fear out is perfect love. And perfect love is, is demonstrated in a very safe, in a very secure, in, in a place where there is safety. Why? Because fear involves punishment. None of us like to be punished. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to, my, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. That, when you trust, that is, gonna, that is going to create, it is going to deepen intimacy. He will cover you with his pinions, feathers. And under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with a long life. I will satisfy him and let him behold my salvation. Man, I'll tell you what, when I read and just reflect and meditate on scriptures like that, you know what, it just, it just ushers my heart into the presence of God. And what I find there is I just find God is just wanting to lavish, to set his love, his affection upon me. God is wanting me to know how much he loves me. And, and again, when you can get into that place with God, um, again, it, it's just going to cultivate, it is just going to deepen intimacy. So again, we can look at scriptures like this as well as others. Again, we can see all that God has done. And, and, the, and one of the reasons why God has done this is he wants to create an environment 
where we can feel safe, secure, free from condemnation, free from fear, confident, and in that place, intimacy is just simply gonna happen. Intimacy will be a byproduct of us just coming and dwelling securely in his love. Now, a couple of weeks ago, just again, I'll let you guys just, I'm sure there probably are scriptures that are coming to mind for you as well, again, as you kind of just begin to think about um, that environment, the things that, that God has said in his word that he has done, um, again, to, to just bring us into that place where, where I, I, can just, I could just go on with scriptures all night up here, but I just wanted to kind of set the stage for you, again, as we kind of talk about uh, some of these scriptures, and as you begin to kind of apply them and look at them through that lens of, of intimacy of what God is doing uh, to bring us to that place. Again, a couple weeks ago, we kind of started talking about seven foundational truths that are crucial for us to to understand if we're ever to grow in our intimacy with God. And again, these um, seven foundations, again, can be extremely helpful, very vital for us um, in, in dealing um, with sin in our lives. Um, so the first foundation that we covered uh, a couple of weeks ago was spiritual, in, uh, spiritual immaturity and rebellion are not the same, even though they may look the same outwardly and how they manifest. Again, we, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but if you weren't here, I just want to kind of go through that uh, very, very quickly. Again, the reason that we talk about that and why this is so important is because a lot of times believers get confused. They'll think that um, what really are moments, um, times of, of spiritual immaturity, we look at them as rebellion. Um, and there really is a big difference between rebellion and spiritual immaturity. And the problem is, is a lot of times they look the same in how uh, they will manifest uh, in our lives. So uh, some people may think that, you know, they're in the sin of rebellion against God, when in truth, it really may just be you are in a season, a time of just spiritual immaturity. There are many Christians uh, that falsely believe they are rebellious before God, um, because they really don't understand the difference between spiritual immaturity and rebellion. Uh, and they, they look at them as kind of one and the same. If we are deceived um, into thinking the struggles, the failures, and the sin in our lives is rebellion against God, rather than just spiritual immaturity, we will be much harder on ourselves, we'll fall into the trap of guilt, of shame, condemnation, and we'll kind of just keep our distance from God, or we'll just avoid God altogether. Now, the lives of King David, we kind of talked about King David, King Saul, are just perfect illustrations, again, of that difference between spiritual immaturity, which was David, and, and rebellion against God, which was King Saul. David, when remember, he was made aware of his sin, uh, you know, adultery with Bathsheba, the murder of her husband, um, Uriah. And, and you remember when Nathan came and finally confronted David, you just remember that David has kind of just this huge repentance, this turn toward God. He makes this heartfelt um, confession. He allows God to forgive him, to help him mature, and to grow more and more in his walk, his relationship with God. He, you know, he's known as a man who is after God's own heart. Um, and, and we see that just by his, um, his confession, his repentance. Whereas Saul, remember when Saul is confronted uh, by his uh, sin with, with the uh, 
prophet Samuel, he only really kind of offers up excuses. He shifts the responsibility, his actions basically, onto other people, and thereby uh, he kind of reveals his sins, his failures, and struggles, again, were rebellion against God. You remember that it ultimately cost him uh, his position as king over Israel. So again, it is very, very important for us to be able to identify and to make that distinction. Is what I'm going through, is that spiritual immaturity, or is it outright rebellion against God? Now, one of the key determinations in trying to understand which is it is when it comes to those areas of sin, failure, and stumbling in your life, is your reaction, is your response to God, are you calling out for forgiveness and deliverance in those areas? Or are you trying to just get away with it so you can do it again? Again, I'm not, I'm not, I, I, got, I got caught, I, I'm not sorry about what I did, I'm sorry I got caught. Big difference, big difference. Spiritually immature people are those who are concerned, it grieves them in their heart when they offend God, when they're sinning against him, and their inclination is to come to God, to repent, to ask for forgiveness and deliverance in those areas where they struggle. Whereas rebellious people couldn't care less. As a matter of fact, they're looking for the next opportunity to try to do it and get away with it again. Now, in Psalm 51, again, we find David's confession, repentance to the Lord regarding his adultery with Bathsheba, the murder of her husband Uriah. Verse 17 says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. That is a spiritually immature person. They have a contrite heart before God. They're truly sorry. They're truly repentant. They're truly wanting to be delivered of that sin. So the heart of the spiritually immature person, when it comes to repentance, is there is a brokenness. There is a um, humility before God. The rebellious person is the exact opposite. There is a hardness of heart. There is kind of a haughtiness of spirit before the Lord. They, they, they're people that don't want to take responsibility for their sin. They're quick to shift the blame onto other people. So again, there is a key difference between spiritual immaturity and rebellion. They are not the same, and one of the key factors, the, one, of the, um, one of the distinguishing factors between them comes down to the heart of the person before God. Second foundation for growing in intimacy with God is we have the absolute, again, this is absolute assurance and the complete confidence of God's enjoyment of us in our spiritual immaturity. Now, again, God takes no delight in the rebellious person. He loves them, but he does not take delight nor enjoyment in their rebellion. Whereas God does find enjoyment, he does take delight in those who are spiritually immature. Now, some of you gotta absorb this because you've bought into a lie that says if you are spiritually immature, 
God has nothing to do with you or God is very limited in his dealings with you. That God is waiting for you to reach some kind of a threshold in your spiritual development before God will really engage you. And again, that is, that's a lie. That is the enemy. That is religion. Religion has taught us that. God does take enjoyment He takes delight in those who are spiritually immature, weak, and struggling believers. Deuteronomy 7, uh, beginning there in verse 6 says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the people. The Lord did not set his love on you nor chose you because you were more in number, but because the Lord loved you you. Now here's where a lot of believers find themselves. They believe that God loves them. I mean, most of us in this room, we would have no problem with the concept of God loving us. But when it comes to God enjoying us, delighting over us in the midst of our spiritual immaturity, our weakness, our failures, most of us find that difficult to accept and to believe. And yet it's true. God does enjoy. God delights over you. Even though you're stumbling, weak, immature, imperfect you. And again, most of us struggle to really embrace this in our current state. And I believe the only way we're ever gonna have the strength, the courage, the motivation to grow and to deepen in our intimacy with God is we've got to believe and we've got to embrace and accept the fact that God thoroughly enjoys the spiritually immature believers. It will be very difficult. I'll tell you what, I think, folks, it'll be downright impossible to have victory in your walk, in your relationship with the Godhead, apart from knowing how much God enjoys and delights in you. The truth and the discovery of God's enjoyment Of us is the fuel for us to rise up and to move deeper in our relationship, deeper in intimacy with God. And we've got to come to this steadfast conclusion and this conviction, faith and trust in our hearts that God truly, I mean truly, truly, passionately loves, enjoys, delights in the weakest of immature believers. God enjoys us not once we are fully mature, but also while we are in the process of maturing. Now, one of the reasons this is difficult for people is because we're concerned. And and I, I know some of you are out there right now, and you're thinking to yourself, you know what? If God enjoys and delights and loves a weak, immature, stumbling believer... 
they're not really going to have any reason or motivation to become more mature or to go deeper in their intimacy with God. If they think God enjoys and delights in them where they're at, why aren't they just going to stay where they're at? That's the question. If God loves me, enjoys me, delights in me, in my weakness, in my, in my spiritual immaturity, then why bother growing or maturing? I'm just going to stay where I'm at. If you get a believer confident in God's enjoyment of them when they are weak and immature, then they will never be motivated to grow spiritually. See, the problem with that is the only tool some of us have ever used or have ever known to motivate ourselves as believers in our spiritual journey and our relationship with God is the tool of the fear of hell, fear of rejection, fear of eternal punishment, guilt, shame, judgment. That's, that's been our tool. That's been the primary motivator. And because of that, we have a distance, we have a fear, we have a disconnection with God because none of us like that. No one here likes to be in an environment of shame, of guilt, of condemnation, the possibility, the potential of judgment. One day, we all back away from that kind of relationship. Yet there is a higher motivation for holiness than any of these I just mentioned. And the greater tool is the power of meritless, boundless, unconditional, full-throttled love. It is the principle that is at the heart of Christ's mission and the gospel message. Zephaniah 3.17, I love this verse. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty savior he will take delight in you with gladness. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his life, he will calm all of your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. That is intimacy. That is something that draws us into his presence. Boy, when, when I know that he delights in me with gladness, when he rejoices over me with joyful songs, when with his love, his life, he is going to calm my fears, I feel safe, I feel secure, I feel confident, I feel loved, I feel valued in that place. We see this in the person of Jesus Christ who is God clothed in human flesh and lived among us as a human being. Listen to how the apostle Paul captures the same idea in Romans chapter five beginning there in verse six. He says, we were utterly, totally helpless 
Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed, he demonstrated, proved his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, enemies, And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. This is how God sees us. This is... This is God's viewpoint of you and me, regardless of whether we are weak, stumbling, and immature, or solid, mature believers like the Apostle Paul. There is no spiritual line that you cross in your walk, in your journey with God, where you kind of go from disappointing and frustrating God to where he just kind of suddenly one day enjoys and delights in you. There's no line. It's there no matter where we are currently in our spiritual journey because it has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with our spiritual accomplishments. It has nothing to do with our obedience or the lack thereof. This was done on our behalf. Before we were even born, he made the way for us through Christ. Our passion and return love for God comes specifically from knowing that when we are totally, utterly helpless and beyond hope that God pursued us, fought for us unto death, and then crowns us with glory and honor if we'll simply repent, accept his offer of forgiveness through Jesus Christ, turn toward him, and believe in the one he sent with a sincere heart. Again, it is the revelation, the understanding, receiving, embracing this spiritual truth that God's enjoyment of us, that is the one thing that will motivate and produce holy passion in us that will lead us to living a deeper and more intimate relationship with him over time. And again, it's critical that we understand we will not have passion for God. You will not have passion for others until we are firmly established in the meritless love of God and in the security of his grace. Knowing and embracing God's fiery passion and delight, his enjoyment of us, well again, it will lead us, it will compel us, it will force us onto mature obedience and abandoned service to him and others. Again, God does not withhold his love, his enjoyment, or his delight in us until we reach a certain level of maturity. Rather, I want you to understand, it is there now fully established wherever you may be in your walk with him, and it is that truth that is gonna draw you, and it's gonna compel you to wanna go deeper I mean, we see this in the lives of the disciples, right? I mean, think of Peter. 
Uh, Peter's a great example of this. I mean, think of all the times Peter let Jesus down, disappointed him. I mean, frustrated him, misunderstood him, disobeyed him, betrayed him, challenged him over and over and over again, and yet Peter goes on to become one of the greatest saints of history. And in and, and, and all of that, Jesus never gave up. He never abandoned Peter, even when Peter was weak, stumbling, and immature. If that was Jesus' heart toward Peter, then that is his heart towards you and I as well. Jesus said in John 15, 9, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus loves you and I the same way the Father loves him, even in the midst of our spiritual weakness and spiritual immaturity. The scripture and Jesus' response toward the weak, the immature, the struggling, confirms the assurance and the confidence we can have of God's complete and total enjoyment and delight of us in our weakness and spiritual maturity. I'm going to give you the third foundation just to hook you, and then I'm going to pick this up again on January 7th. The third foundation for growing in intimacy with God is God's enjoyment of us is not the same as his approval of everything we do. So if that's kind of been your, but what about... (laughs) God's enjoyment of us is not the same as his approval of all that we do. And we'll pick that up um, uh, next time we're together uh, on, on January 7th. Father, we just thank you. Lord, I just pray, especially for hearts. Lord, I, I know that my heart, I, I know I need to embrace this uh, just at a, at a deeper level. God, I know as, I've, as you study this, as you teach it, as you hear it, it, it is hard to believe because religion has sold us a whole different package. Oftentimes we get so caught up in the performance of what we do, of what we don't do, and, and so many times, God, we, we misunderstand We really don't understand your heart, your love, your grace, your kindness, your mercy toward us. And so many times, God, we kind of just get caught in that trap of guilt, of condemnation, God, of just thinking we've got to do it all perfect all the time. And And that if we just mess up one time that, oh God, you're just... You're, you're on the verge of being through with us, and God, we've, we've bought into so many lies. So Father, tonight I just pray, Lord, that you know where every heart is here. God, you, nothing is hidden from you. We, we can come in here and we can put on a good spiritual front. We can, we can make it look like we've got it all together and everything is good between us and you and yet, God, we can sit and hear something like this tonight, Lord, and know that, that we are a thousand miles away. And so, Lord, tonight, I just pray, Lord, that for anyone, that, that any heart that just needs to really embrace this truth, that, God, by the power of the presence of your Holy Spirit, God, that you would just help them to just feel secure, to be confident, God, not in who they are, but in who you are. 
And God, for them to, to really begin to fully, to really just openly, God, begin to just receive your love, your grace, your mercy for them, God. The Lord, you would again just open new waves of your kindness, your mercy toward us, God. And Lord, we just thank you, God, that even in our times of weakness, of immaturity, those times, God, when we stumble, God, that, God, we would know that even in the midst of that, that your heart is still for us, that you love us, that you delight in us, that we're your son, we're your daughter, that you're never gonna leave us, you're never gonna forsake us, you're not gonna leave us as orphans. So Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would just secure our hearts in your love. And in securing our hearts, that God, you would just bring us to that place, God, of openness, of safety with you, God. You see our hearts, you know us, Nothing's hidden from you, and yet, God, in spite of all of that, you still love us with a boundless, unconditional love. God, just help us to embrace that. Help us to receive that. We just thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.